Welcome to tape number six of Truth, Victory Over Error, or the True Principles of the Christian Religion by David Dixon. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, a great discount is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. And now to our reading of Truth, Victory, Over Error by David Dixon, which we pray you find to be a great blessing and which we hope draws you near to the Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing our reading of truth victory over error chapter 19 of the law of God question 1 did God get to Adam a law as a covenant of works by which he bound him and all his posterity to perform entire exact and perpetual obedience yes did he promise life upon the fulfilling and did he threaten death upon the breach of it yes was Adam endowed with power and ability to keep it Yes, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Genesis 2, verse 7, Romans 2, verses 14 and 15, Romans 5, verses 12 and 19, Galatians 3, verses 10 and 12, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 29, and Job 28, verse 28. Well then, do not the Sassinians err who maintain that God made no covenant with Adam in his integrity, in which he promised to him and his posterity life eternal? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, from those places of Scripture where the righteousness of the law is described, Leviticus 18, verse 5, Romans 10, verse 5, Galatians 3, verse 12, Ezekiel 20, verses 11 and 13, Whosoever therefore keepeth my statutes and judgments, saith the Lord, shall live in them, and to whom life is promised forever upon their perfect obedience and continuance in all things written in the book of the law. And from those places in which death is threatened to them, that in the least transgress of the law of God, Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, Galatians 3, verse 10, Ezekiel 28, verse 4. Second, from the words of our Savior, who spoke to the young man according to the covenant of works, in which the Lord promised eternal life to such as that fulfill the law, Matthew 19, verse 17, Luke 10, verse 28. Observe that Christ answereth here according to the question and opinion of this young man who thought he was able to obtain salvation by his own good works, and therefore Christ directs him to the law, thereby to bring him to the acknowledgement of his own imperfection and afterwards to faith in himself. Third, because man was created by God in righteousness, holiness, and immortality, 
according to the similitude and image of God, Genesis 1, verse 26, Genesis 9, verse 6, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 29, Ephesians 4, verse 24, Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10, and receive from him the law of nature, naturally engraven upon his heart, Romans 2, verses 14 and 15. And besides this law, a positive law was superadded to it that Adam should not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that by obeying the same he might give a specimen or proof of his obedience to the law of nature in the perfect obedience whereof, so long as he should continue, he should live forever. For the Lord threatened death to him only if he should sin. And death is the wages of sin, which by sin entered into the world. Genesis 2, verse 17, Romans 6, verse 23, Romans 5, verses 12 and 13. Fourth, from those places of Scripture in which it is denied that believers under the covenant of grace are justified by the law, but by faith and the righteousness of Christ manifested in the gospel, for that the law is weak, powerless, and, or impotent, through the corruption of our nature to justify us and give us life. Romans 3, verses 20, 21, and 28. Galatians 2, verse 16. Galatians 3, verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. Philippians 3, verse 9. Romans 8, verses 2 and 3. Question 2. Do the first four commandments contain our duty to God and the other six our duty towards man? Yes. Matthew 22, verses 37, 38, 39, and 40. Well then, do not the Papists and Lutherans err who maintain that three only belong to the first table and seven to the second, and that thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image with the foregoing? Thou shalt not have any other gods before me but our one command, and that thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his man's servant, are two distinct commands? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the first two precepts command diverse things. The one teaches us who is to be worshipped vis-a-vis the true and living God and no other. The second instructs us how he is to be worshipped, namely, according to his own appointment and not according to the appointment and pleasure of men as by images and such like. Second, because it is one and the same concupiscence which is forbidden in the tenth command, the sum whereof thou shalt not covet is cited by the Apostle Paul, Romans 7, verse 7, and which is summarily expressed in the close of the tenth command, nor anything which thy neighbors, which is thy neighbors. Third, if the tenth command ought to be two, because these words thou shalt not covet are twice repeated, then would it follow there should be as many commands as there are things desired or forbidden? Because it is evident that these words, Thou shalt not covet, are to be repeated with every part. Question 3. Are all the ceremonial laws abrogated under the New Testament? Yes. Colossians 2, verses 14 and 16. Daniel 9, verse 27. Ephesians 2, verses 15 and 16. Well then, do not the Judaizers err who maintain that all the ceremonial laws remain in their former strength and vigor and are obliging to believers under the gospel and not abrogated or disannulled by Christ? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? 
first, because Christ hath abolished the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that he might gather together both Jews and Gentiles into one new man. Ephesians 2, verses 14 and 15. Colossians 2, verse 14. Note that the apostle here speaks of all believers, both of Jews and Gentiles, as of one man, because they being all under Christ, the head, as members of one spiritual body, are made up as one renewed man. Second, because the apostle says, let no man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, all which are shadows of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. This verse is a conclusion of the apostles' foregoing discourse against ceremonies and things commanded by the ceremonial law, which by the coming of Christ are abolished. He calls them in verse 17 a shadow of things to come, but the body, says he, is of Christ. That is, the thing signified is of Christ. Of all the shadows of the Old Testament had respect to Christ and his benefits, by whose coming they also have had an end. John 1, verse 17, Galatians 3, verses 4 and 5. Third, because the apostle says believers are dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, that is, from the ceremonial command, as is evident from the context. What, says he, as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? That is, as if your life and happiness consisted in these outward worldly principles, but suffer yourselves, or allow yourselves, to be burdened by such teachers with human institutions and ordinances. The apostle indeed, in these last words, is reasoning against the institutions and ordinances of men from this medium which is an argument from the greater to the lesser. If you be dead with Christ from the ceremonies of the law, instituted in the Old Testament by God himself, much more are ye free from the institutions and ordinances of men, which are only grounded upon their own good pleasure. Colossians 2, verses 20 and 21. Galatians 4, verses 10 and 11. Fourth, because the apostle affirms that the observation and using of circumcision cannot consist with true faith in Christ now after the gospel is fully published. And he exhorts the Galatians to abide in their liberty purchased by Christ and not to submit themselves to the yoke of mosaical ceremonies. Galatians 5 verses 1 and 2. Fifth, because these teachers who press the believers, believing Gentiles, to be circumcised and to observe the law of Moses, I mean the ceremonial law, were condemned by the council of apostles, Acts 15, verse 34. 6. Because ceremonial commands are neither of the law of nature, nor are they enjoined to believers under the gospel as things moral. 7. Because these appointed ceremonies were figures only of things to come, imposed upon the Jews until the time of reformation, but taken away by Christ, Hebrews 9, verse 9, 10, 11, and 12, in Hebrews 10, verse 9, wherein it is said, He taketh away the first, namely all sorts of propitiatory offerings which were used in the Old Testament to settle the second, namely his obedience to the will of the Father. 8. Because they were given to the Israelites to foresignify and represent Christ and his death and to be marks of difference between them and the unbelieving nations. Colossians 2, 17, Ephesians 2, 14, where it is said, 
who had made both these, namely Jews and Gentiles, one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition, whereby the ceremonial law is understood, which made a difference between the Jews and Gentiles. Now since Christ hath suffered death, and the Gentiles are called, all these ceremonies which did foresignify his death, and made that difference of necessity cease. Ninth, because the temple of Jerusalem, to which the ceremonies were restricted, is destroyed, and could never since be rebuilded. Question 4. Did the Lord by Moses give to the Jews as a body politic sundry judicial laws which expired together with their state? Yes. Do they oblige any other now further than the general equity thereof may require? No. Exodus 21 from the first to the last verse. Exodus 22 verse 1 to verse 29. Genesis 49, verse 10, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 8, 9, and 10, 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 14, Matthew 5, verses 17, 38, and 39. Well then, do not some err, though otherwise orthodox, who maintain that the whole judicial law of the Jews is yet alive and binding us all, who are Christian Gentiles? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the judicial law was delivered by Moses to the Israelites to be res- uh, observed as to a body politic. Exodus 21. Second, because this law in many things which are of a particular right was accommodated to the commonwealth of the Jews and not to other nations also. Exodus 22, verse 3. Exodus 21, verse 2. Leviticus 25, verses 2 and 3. Deuteronomy 24, verses 1, 2, and 3. Deuteronomy 25, verses 5, 6, and 7. Third, because in other things which are not of particular right, it is neither from the law of nature obliging by reason, neither is it pressed upon believers under the gospel to be observed. Fourth, because believers are appointed under the gospel to obey the civil law and commands of those under whose governments they live, providing they be just and that for conscience sake. Romans 13, verse 1, 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 14, Titus 3, verse 1. Question 5. Doth the moral law forever bind as well justified persons as others to the obedience thereof, and that not only in regard of the matter contained in it, but also in respect of the authority of God who gave it? Yes. Romans 13 verses 8, 9, and 10, Ephesians 6 verse 2, 1 John 2 verses 3, 4, 7, and 8, James 2 verses 10 and 11. Well then, do not the antinomians err who maintain that believers under the gospel are not obliged to the obedience of the moral law? Yes. By what reason are they confused? First, because Christ says he came not to destroy the law, and the prophets, that is, to alter or disannul the doctrine of the law or of the prophets, Matthew 5, verse 17. Second, because he says in the following verse, I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one, excuse me, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled, Matthew 5, verse 18. Third, because whosoever shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
that is, shall not at all be esteemed there, or shall not enter thereunto. Verse 19. Fourth, because that after the Apostle Paul hath concluded the justification of believers to be a free grace, he subjoins, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Romans 3, verse 31. Fifth, because all the precepts of the moral law belong to the law of nature, naturally engraven upon the hearts of men, which cannot, cannot be abrogated, but oblige all men perpetually and necessarily from natural reason itself. Romans 2, verse 15. Six, because all the precepts of the moral law are repeated in the gospel and enjoined to all believers by Christ. Matthew 19, verses 17, 18, 19, and 20. Romans 2, verse 13. Seven, because Paul adjoineth and proposes to believers under the New Testament both a command and a promise of the Decalogue as properly belonging to them. Ephesians 6, verses 2 and 3. Eight, because the Apostle James setteth forth to believers the moral law as the rule of life, which they are obliged to observe, and by breaking of which they are convinced of sins. James 2, verses 8, 9, and 11. Ninth, because whosoever committeth any sin against the moral law shall never enter into the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, Galatians 5, 21. Tenth, because this tenet of the antinomians turns the grace of God into wantonness, overturneth the end of Christian liberty and of the coming and death of Christ, and paveth the way leading to all impiety, and the indulging of the lust of the flesh and fostering the dominion of sin contrary to these scriptures Jude verse 4 1 John 2 verse 16 2 Peter 2 verses 18, 19, and 20 Romans 6 verses 14, 15, and 16 Luke 1 verse 74 and 75 Titus 2 verses 11 and 12 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 Romans 9, verses 21, 23, and 24. 11. Because believers ought to study good works. Titus 3, verse 8. To they which are created in Christ, that they should walk in them. Ephesians 2, verse 10. 12. Because Christ will render to every man at his last coming, both to the good and to the bad, according to their works. Revelation 22. Matthew 15, verses 34, 35, 41, and 42. Question 6. Are true believers under the law as a covenant of works to be thereby justified or condemned? No. Romans 6, 14. Galatians 2, 16. Galatians 3, 13. Galatians 4, 4, and 5. Acts 13, verse 39. Romans 8, verse 1. Well then, do not the Papists and Socinians err who maintain that believers under the gospel are justified by their obedience to the law of God, the law, I say, either moral or evangelical, and condemn for the transgression thereof? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because by the law is the knowledge of sin, Romans 3, verse 20. Second, because for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, Galatians 3, verse 10. Third, because there is not a law given which could have given life to fallen men, Galatians 3, verse 21. Fourth, because Christ is not dead in vain, 
For if righteousness be by the law, then Christ is dead in vain, and that is without cause, reason, need, or fruit. Galatians 2, verse 21. See John 15, verse 25. Fifth, because it was promised by God about 430 years before the promulgation of the law that all the nations of the earth should be blessed in the seed of Abraham. Genesis 22, verse 18. Genesis 12, verse 3, with Galatians 3, verses 16, 17, and 18. Sixth, because Christ is become of no effect to them that are justified by the law, they are fallen from grace. Galatians 5, verse 4. Seventh, because believers ought to wait through the Spirit for the hope of righteousness by faith. Galatians 5, verse 5. Eighth, because the apostle though a strict observer of the law counted all his works but loss and dung that he might be found in Christ not having his own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith Philippians 3 verses 8 and 9 9 because Christ is made of God to believers righteousness 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 10. Because they that seek their righteousness not by faith, but by their works, do not attain to it. And contrariwise, they that seek their righteousness by faith and not by their works do attain to it. Romans 9, 30, 31, and 32. 11. Because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Romans 10, verse 4. 12. Because the justification of men under the law or covenant of works is by the law and by the works of the law, but the justification of men under grace or covenant of grace is by faith. Romans 10, verses 5, 6, 8, 9, and 10. Galatians 3, verses 11 and 12. Leviticus 18, verse 5. But believers now are not under the law or the covenant of works, but under grace or the covenant of grace. Romans 6, verse 14 and 15. Galatians 5, verse 18. 13. Because believers under the New and Old Testament are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and not by the law, whose yoke none were able to bear. That is, none were able perfectly to keep, nor to be justified thereby. Acts 15, verses 10 and 11. 14. Because whosoever transgresses the law in the least is under the curse of it. Galatians 3, verse 10. Deuteronomy 28, verse 27, verse 26. And deserveth death and a curse. Romans 6, 23. Ezekiel 18, verse 4 and 20. But all men, even the regenerate, sin daily and transgress the law of God and so are guilty of all. James 1, verse 13, compared with James 2, verse 10, and with 1 John 1, 8. Fifteenth, because good works do not go before justification, but follow after it. Titus 1, verse 15, Hebrews 11, verse 6, Romans 14, verse 23, Romans 3, verses 9, 10, and 23. Sixteenth, because the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ, is manifested unto all and upon all by Moses and the prophets, for all the apostles do witness that whosoever believeth in Jesus Christ shall have remission of sins. Romans 3, verses 21, 24, and 25. Acts 10, verse 43. 17. Because justification is 
from the free grace of God, Romans 3.24, not by the works of the law, otherwise grace should be no more grace, nor work any more work, Romans 11, verse 6, 18, because the good works of believers are unclean and defiled, Isaiah 40, 64, verse 6, Galatians 5, verse 17, 19, because it is said by the Spirit of God that just shall live by faith, Hebrews 2, verse 4, Galatians 3, verse 11, 20, because it is written that Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness, Genesis 15, verse 5, Romans 4, verse 3. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Romans 4, verse 5, 21st. Because believers must not glory in themselves, but in God only. Romans 4, verse 2, Romans 3, 27. 22nd. Because by the obedience of one, many shall be made righteous, as was foretold by the prophets, Isaiah 53, verse 11, and is asserted by Paul, Romans 5, verse 17, 23, because justification by faith and not by works is expressly taught at large by the apostle in that third to the Romans and third to the Galatians. Chapter 20 of Christian Liberty and Liberty of Conscience. Question 1. Is God alone Lord of the conscience, and hath left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, which are in anything contrary to his word, or beside it in matters of faith or worship? Yes. James 4, verse 12, Acts 4, verse 19, Acts 5, 29, Matthew 23, verses 8, 9, and 10, 2 Corinthians 1, 24, and Matthew 15, verse 6. Well then, do not the papists err who contradict this, both in doctrine, because they teach that the Pope of Rome and bishops in their own diocese may, by their own authority, besides the word, make laws which oblige and bind the conscience under the pain of everlasting death, and in practice, because they have obtruded and do obtrude many ecclesiastical rites and ceremonies as necessary in worship without any foundation in Scripture? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. James 4, verse 12. Therefore, no pope, no prelate, nor any mere man can be a lawgiver. Second, because Christ rejects the commandments of men for the worship of God. Matthew 15, verse 9. Third, because the apostles refused to obey the orders of their council, since they were contrary to the commands of God. Acts 4, verse 19, and Acts 5, verse 29. Fourth, because the Lord threatens to do a marvelous work among his people, because they drew near to him with their mouth, as the most part of the ceremonial service is but a drawing near to God with their mouth, but had their hearts removed far from him. Isaiah 29, verses 13 and 14. Fifth, because Christ expressly forbids such subjection and obedience to the commandments of men. Matthew 23, verses 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 23. Sixth, because the apostles themselves forbid all will worship, such as the papists 
ceremonies are Colossians 2, verse 18, 21, 22, 23. Seventh, because the Apostle Paul withstood these false brethren unawares brought in who came in privately to spy out his liberty which he had in Christ Jesus that they might bring him into bondage to whom he gave place by subjection not more for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue where he lays so much weight upon Christian liberty that if that were taken away the truth of the gospel would perish likewise Galatians 2 verses 4 and 5 8 because the apostle commands believers to stand fast in their liberty wherewith Christ hath made them free and not to be entangled again within the yoke of bondage Galatians 5 verse 1 9 because ceremonies are superstitious being a vice opposite to religion in excess commanding more in the worship of God than he requires question 2 is not the requiring of an implicit faith and an absolute and blind obedience to the church or any man a destroying of liberty of conscience and reason also? Yes, Romans 10:17 and Romans 14 verse 23, Isaiah 8 verse 20, Acts 17 verse 11, John 4:22, Hosea 5 verse 11, Revelation 8:12 and 16 and 17. In Jeremiah 8, verse 9. Well then, do not the papists err who require an implicit faith to all the decrees and ordinances of their church and pope and a blind obedience to their commands without a previous judgment of discretion? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because no man performing any duty out of blind obedience can be persuaded in his mind of the will of God therein. And so he that doubteth is damned, because it is not of faith. Romans 14, verse 23. Second, because all things must be examined and proved by the rule of the word. Isaiah 8, verse 20. First John 4, verses 1 and 2. Third, because the apostle says, Prove all things and hold fast, fast that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21. Fourth, because blind obedience makes us the servants of men, which is contrary to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 23, and against the command of Christ forbidding us to call any man father on earth, Matthew 23, verse 9. Fifth, because absolute obedience is only due to God, whose commands are all most just, himself being the alone lawgiver, James 4, verse 12. 6. Because every man ought to be ready to render a reason for the hope which is in him. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. This no man can do who receives the commands of superiors with an implicit faith. This ends the reading of side 1. Please turn the tape over and continue listening on side 2. Question 3. Do they who, upon pretense of Christian liberty, practice any sin or cherish any lust, destroy thereby the end of Christian liberty? Yes. Galatians 5, 13. 1 Peter 2, 16. 2 Peter 2, 19. John 8, 34. Luke 1, 74 and 75. Well then, do not the libertines err who maintain that the true Christian liberty, which we ought not to follow and use, is to take away all difference between good and evil, to esteem nothing of sin, 
nor to be touched with any conscience or sense of it, that every man ought to follow the swing of his own lust? Yes. Do not likewise the antinomians err who maintain also almost the same very tenet and opinion? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because we being called to liberty ought not to use our liberty for an occasion of the flesh. Galatians 5 verse 13. And that with well-doing we ought to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 1 Peter 2.15 Second, because they that follow the liberty of sinning and promise liberty to others are truly the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought into bondage. 2 Peter 2.19 Third, because the end of that liberty which is purchased by Christ is that being delivered out of the hands of our enemies, we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. Luke 1, verses 74 and 75. Fourth, because whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. John 8. Fifth, because the moral law obliges a believer to perform obedience out of gratitude and thankfulness, for Christ came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Matthew 5, verse 17. 6. Because whosoever shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, verse 19. Question 4. May such men be lawfully called to an account and proceeded against by the censures of the church and by the power of the civil magistrate who publish such opinions or maintain such practices as are contrary to the light of nature or to the known principles of Christianity, whether concerning faith, worship, or conversation, or to the power of godliness, of such erroneous opinions and practices as either in their own nature or in the manner of publishing or maintaining them are destructive to the external peace and order which Christ hath established in his church? Yes. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1, 5, 11, 13. 2 John, or, yeah, the second epistle of John, verses 10 and 11. 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 and 4. Titus 1, verses 10 and 11 and 13. Titus 3, verse 10. 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20. Matthew 23, verse 15, 16 and 17. Revelation 2, verse 2. 14, 15, and 20, Revelation 3, verse 9. Well then, do not the Anabaptists err who maintain there should be no ecclesiastical censures? Yes. Do not others also err who maintain that church censures should not be inflicted upon heretics? Yes. Do not, lastly, the Lutherans, Anabaptists, Arminians, Quakers, and all sorts of heretics and sectaries err? who maintain under the pretext of Christian liberty that the civil magistrate is not in duty to punish any man with the sword for errors in doctrine, but they ought to be tolerated and suffered, provided such persons as own them do not trouble or molest the commonwealth? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the keys of the kingdom of heaven are for this end delivered to the ministers of the church that with censures they may pursue scandalous and offending persons who will not obey at admonition. Matthew 
18, verses 15, 17, and 18. But such also as are heretics, Galatians 5, 20, Titus 1, verses 10 and 12. Second, because an heretic after the first and second admonition is to be rejected, avoided, or shunned. That is, let him not remain in the external communion of the church, Titus 3.10. Third, because Paul did excommunicate Hymenaeus and Alexander, who had made shipwreck of the faith, 1 Timothy 1, verses 19 and 20. Fourth, because if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 14, 1 Timothy 6, verses 4 and 5, Titus 1, verse 11. Fifth, because Christ approves and commends the pastors of the church of Ephesus because they could not suffer or allow them that are evil, but had tried them which say they are apostles and were not, and had found them liars. Revelation 2, verse 2. And Christ, in that same chapter, accuses the pastors of the church of Pergamos and Thyatira, and threateneth them, because they say that they had suffered or allowed heretics to be in the church. The Lutherans, Anabaptists, Arminians, and other sectaries are confuted. First, because it is evident from many examples of godly magistrate who did extirpate idolatry and inflict punishment upon idolaters, as did Jacob the patriarch, who purged his family of strange gods, Genesis 35, verses 2, 3, and 4. Moses likewise took punishment with the sword upon those who did worship the golden calf, Exodus 32, verses 26, 27, and 28. We have, secondly, the examples of Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18, verse 4, of Josiah, 2 Kings 23, of Asa, who decreed that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel, according to the law of God, Deuteronomy 13, verse 9, should be put to death, whether final or great, whether man or woman, 2 Chronicles 15, verse 13 of Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 17, verse 6, of Nehemiah, chapter 13, verses 15, 17, and 35. Third, were not good kings reproved, and was it not imputed to them as a fault that they did not take away the high places? 2 Kings 12, verse 3, 2 Kings 14, verse 4, 2 Kings 15, verse 4, 2 Chronicles 15, verse 17. Far more is it a fault to suffer or allow heretics. Fourth, it is evident from the office of the magistrate who is the minister of God against them that do evil and bears not the sword in vain, Romans 13, verse 4. Fifth, because it is expressly commanded in Scripture that punishment be inflicted upon idolaters even by the nearest relations. If then the father may kill the son may kill the daughter, the husband, the wife of his bosom, and if one brother may stone another brother with stones that he die for being idolaters, much more may the civil magistrates do this. Deuteronomy 13, verse 6 to 13. Deuteronomy 17, verse 2 to verse 7. Leviticus 24, verse 10. 6, because it is a it is foretold that under the New Testament kings shall be nursing fathers to the church and queens nursing mothers and that heretics that were about to be hurtful to the church 
shall be removed and taken away. Isaiah 49 verse 23, Zechariah 13 verses 2 and 3. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, that is, all idolatry whatsoever, so that the same shall not be so much as named any more among you, and they shall no more be remembered. And I will also cause the prophets, the false prophets, and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land, that is, the false teachers who teach impure doctrines, through the inspiration of an unclean spirit, the devil. Compare this with 1 John 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. For confirmation, consider what is foretold by John, Revelation 22, verses 12, 16, and 17, that the kings of the earth shall eat the flesh of the whore and burn her with fire, all which are foretold as blessings to, to be conferred upon the church. Seventh, it is evident from the epitaph whereby the pernicious and destructive nature of heretics is set forth in Scripture. They are called wolves, not sparing the flock, thieves, robbers, troublers of the church, and seducers or beguilers of poor souls. They are like unto a gangrene or canker in the body. They are as leaven or sour dough which leaveneth the whole lump. Acts 20, verse 29, John 10, verse 8, Acts 15, verse 24, Galatians 5, verse 12, 2 Timothy 2, verse 17, Galatians 5, verse 9. 8. Because Ezra did esteem it a great favor and blessing of God conferred upon the church, for which he thanked God that had inclined the heart of Artaxerxes to publish a decree for the punishment of those that did not observe the law, whether it be, saith the text, unto death, or to banishment, or to confiscation of goods, or to imprisonment. Ezra 7, verse 23, 25, and 28. Ninth, because we ought to pray for kings and all in authority, that under them we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness, in honesty, which end cannot be attained unless the civil magistrate bridle and tie up heretics. 1 Timothy 2, verse 2. These words, in all godliness, concern religion, or the first table of the moral law, as the following word, honesty, or civility, hath a respect to the commands of the second table, and the duties which we owe to our neighbor and to one another. For true magistrates are keepers and defenders of both tables of the Ten Commandments. Tenth, because the toleration of heretics, as we may read of the Anabaptists in Germany, Thomas Munzer, John of Leyden, and their followers, first by railing against the ministry, as the Quakers do, and by raging against the magistracy, brought both church and state into confusion, put the country into burning flames, wherein themselves at length were consumed to ashes. Chapter 21 Of Religious Worship and the Sabbath Day Question 1 Doth the light of nature show that there is a God who hath lordship and sovereignty over all? Yes. Romans 1 verse 20 Acts 17 verse 21, 24 Psalm 119 verse 68 Jeremiah 10, verse 7, Psalm 31, verse 13. Well then, do not the Socinians err who maintain that there is no knowledge of God implanted naturally in the minds of men? Yes. 
Do not secondly the Vaninians, that's V-A-N-I-N-I-A-N-S, and many of the Cartesians, that's C-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N-S, err, who, under the pretext of maintaining a Godhead, have in effect taught men to deny there is a God. Yes, do not thirdly some beheaded men err who dispute against the being of a Godhead because they cannot find a demonstration for it? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Romans 1 verse 20. Second, because the psalmist say, saith, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. That is, they give us matter and occasion to speak and discourse of his omnipotency, wisdom, and goodness. Psalm 19, verse 1, 2, and 3. Third, because the knowledge of the law of nature is naturally implanted in the minds of all men. Romans 2, verse 14. Therefore, some knowledge of the lawgiver must be implanted in the minds of all men. Fourth, because in the most wicked and ungodly there are terrors and tortures of conscience, wherewith, nil, they will, they are haunted and possessed. Whence it is evident they are in the minds of all men, there is some lively knowledge of God. Fifth, because men would rather worship a stock or a stone than they should think there were no God, Acts 27, verse 23. Six, when a brave order and comeliness shines forth with so much wisdom and power in the government and preservation of things above and below, that no man can be in doubt, but there must be a God who rules and preserves all those things. Seven, because nothing can be the cause of itself, because then it should be both the cause and the effect, both before and after itself, Therefore, all things have their beginning from one first and supreme cause, which is God. 8. Because the existence of a Godhead may be evinced from the foretelling things to come. Isaiah 41, verse 23. And as Cicero says, if there be a foretelling, there must also be a God that foretelleth. 9. From the assaults and suggestions of Satan, we find there is a a devil. May we not then certainly conclude there is a God? The devil labors by all means to extinguish the light of the gospel, to lead men on in ignorance, error, and profaneness, and to turn them out of the path of holiness. Now, why should Satan thus war against God, his word, and his saints? Why should he seek God's dishonor and man's destruction if there were not a God, a law, and an everlasting life. Tenth, because the mind of man is not satisfied with the knowledge of all things, nor the will of man with the enjoyment of all things in this world, but still they seek and thirst earnestly after some higher good. There is therefore a sovereign truth and chief good, which, being perfectly known and enjoyed, will give contentment and satisfaction to the soul. In vain should the powers and faculties of the soul be capable of happiness or of the chief good if there were not a chief good to be possessed and enjoyed. Eleventh, from the wonders and miracles which have been wrought, 
visible and apparent works extraordinarily wrought, not only above the ordinary course of nature, but simply above the power of nature. These effects do convince that there is an infinite power which is above and overruleth all things. For every principle and primary cause is more excellent than the effects thereof. Twelve. From the being of man, the curious workmanship of his body in the womb, which is wrought more art- artistically, namely with sinews, veins, arteries, muscles, and other parts of the body, even as an embroider fitteth and joineth many parcels, stuff, and dyed work of various colors, very artificial artistically and curiously together until there cometh forth some goodly portraiture or other dainty workmanship. Psalm 139, verse 15, Job 10, verse 10. But especially from the being of man's soul, which is immaterial, invisible, rational, immortal, and which cannot be traduced from the power of the matter as the sensitive souls of the brutes, neither doth depend upon the body in many of its operations. These and all the works which our eye doth see or the mind doth apprehend do prove that there is a God who hath given a being to them and continueth them therein. Thirteenth, because seeing God is the first cause, there cannot be anything prior to him by which, as a cause, his existence can be demonstrated. Question two. Is the acceptable way of worshipping the true God instituted by himself and so limited to his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of man or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture? Yes. Deuteronomy 12:32, Matthew 15, verse 9, Acts 20. Excuse me, 17 verse 25, Colossians 2:23, Exodus 20 verses 4, 5, and 6. Well then, do not the papists err who teach that the images of Christ and the Trinity ought to be worshipped, and that no, not improperly, but even properly and per se with the same sort of worship wherewith Christ and the Blessed Trinity are adored? Yes. Do not likewise the Greeks err who maintain that the painted images of God may be adored, but not the engraved or carved images of God? Yes. By what reasons are they confuted? First, because it is expressly against the second command, Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5. Second, because God is infinite, unmeasurable, incomprehensible, and spiritual, and therefore nothing can represent him as the prophet well infers. Psalm, excuse me, Isaiah 40, verses 18 and 25. Third, because every representation of God by graven images or pictures is a most disgraceful changing of the glory of the incorruptible God. Romans 1, verse 23. Fourth, because images and pictures of his kind are lies and vanities which the Lord of whores and mocks at with a holy scorn, Isaiah 44, from verses 9 to 18. Fifth, because the Lord expressly forbiddeth the Israelites to represent him under any form or shape. For, saith the text, you saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake to you in Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. Deuteronomy 4, verses 15 to 20. 
6, because though the Israelites worshipped the true God by an image, for Aaron built an altar and made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord, yet they are accused of the sin of idolatry and for that cause severely punished. Exodus 32, verses 21, 27, and 35. 7. Because Jeroboam and the ten tribes who worshipped the true God by the golden calves set up at Dan and Bethel for the worship of false gods by images was afterwards brought in by Ahab who is thereby said to have provoked the Lord more than all the kings of Israel before him 1 Kings 16:31 and 32 are accused for the sin of idolatry and severely threatened 1 Kings 12:29-30 at 1 Kings 13, verse 2, which threatening was put to execution by Josiah, 2 Kings 23, verses 15, 16, and 20. 8. Because the apostle saith, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art or man's device. Acts 17, verse 29. This ends tape number six of Truth, Victory Over Air by David Dixon. Please go to the next tape in the series and continue listening. Thank you. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources as well as SWRB's complete mail order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. This book, Truth's Victory Over Air by David Dixon, is also available from Stillwater's Revival Books in softcover format at a discount in our A to Z author listing. And please, don't forget to look over the 62 CDs that make up our Reformation and Puritan bookshelf CD sets if you visit our website at swrb.com as these CDs are a great way to build a major reform library at a fraction of the cost of the printed book.